Let's see if we can't bring a little peace to the worship wars and solve this battle once and for all. Today we're going to talk about the spirit, emotions, the brain, and worship. So there's a little bit of a false dichotomy in the world of talking about worship. It seems to be an either-or proposition. So there's there's really a spectrum, a spectrum from what's called the free church movement. We'll put them over here for today, and uh, highly liturgical uh, services. And so, when we're talking about worship, we have the first thing we have to remember is that there's a there's a wide variety of worship, and so. We can encounter God in the Spirit through worship in lots of different ways, in many, many different ways. So let's look at a few of the styles. One of the one of the predominant styles we'll call um, the highly liturgical style, and so you'll find these in churches like um, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern or the Orthodox Church, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Anglicans. They tend to be uh, highly ritualized, which means that they. The liturgy of worship, the words that they say, the practice of worship, the order of worship is prescribed. There is a particular liturgy for a particular day. So if you're um, on the 23rd Sunday of Pentecost, then there's going to be a particular liturgy. And in theory, at least, every one of the churches in that tradition would be worshiping with those words in that style each Sunday. And so it doesn't matter which Episcopal church you went to, you'll be hearing and praying the same prayers as every other Episcopalian in the world, in theory. Um, they ha- often have things like uh, the Book of Common, the Book of Worship, which is, sorry, the Book of Prayer, which is um, the Episcopalian tradition's liturgy book. But a lot, all of these traditions, Lutherans and, uh, and Episcopalians and Catholics and Orthodox, are going to use some form of, pre- of a pre-prescribed ritual liturgy that helps guide their worship for the Sunday. Sort of in the middle are um, Methodists, are more to the liturgy, so- liturgy side, and Presbyterians you're going to find sort of all mixed up in there somewhere. Some Presbyterians are very liturgical, very high, um, high church with lots of robes and stoles and candles and f- organ and f- candelabras and things like that, right? And some Presbyterian churches are going to be more in the in the low-style church, the more freestyle church, so it really depends on which church you find yourself in. And so moving in that direction, then you're going to hit like the Baptist church, which is a free, um, free worship style, uh, where theoretically there's no liturgy or pre-planned prayers or any of that kind of stuff, um, all the way through to the Pentecostal church. At the very end, you're going to find the Quaker church, which is completely without a plan. If you go to a Quaker worship service, you're going to show up, and they wait until the Spirit moves, and somebody is led to pray or to read a scripture or to expound upon the scripture, um, to share a message that they've heard from God. It's completely unplanned, and it could go 10 minutes. It could go four hours. <laughs> you never know. Um, but that's the most freestyle of, of service. Um, and so you have this huge spectrum of worship. And so which one is right? Right? That's why you came. Which one's right? Well, they all have benefits. They all have um, different ways of approaching God. And so when you have something like a liturgy, um, what it does is it forces you to approach God in a variety of ways. It, it should, in its best form, help you to 
to maybe pray in a way that you wouldn't pray given your own um, your own guidance, your own impetus. And so uh, a written prayer may invite you to pray for a part of the world that you wouldn't necessarily come up with on your own. Um, like maybe you wouldn't think to pray today for uh, Burkina Faso. But if you have a pre-printed liturgy, pre-printed liturgy that's being led, uh, then then you're encouraged to do something like that. On the other hand, you're being forced to pray something that may not be authentic to you. So your prayer may offer, you may be forced, asked to offer a confession that does not reflect what your experience was this week. You may be asked to offer a prayer that um, doesn't do that. Or there's no flexibility with the scripture. And so if the, the priest who is offering the homily, the sermon, wants to go somewhere else, wants to do something way you're running aside, um, you don't really have that option because there's a pre-planned liturgy. I mean, I guess you, you could, but it would be weird because you'd take that scripture out of like its whole context. Um, and so there's benefits to that. There certainly is. The structure is often helpful for people that they don't, they don't want to go to church and their spirituality is is helped along by having that plan, having an expectation, having the same ritual experience. You're going to kneel here, you're going to stand up here. Um, not having to think about it, not having to worry about what's happening because it's happening, it's always happening, um, is, is a comfort and often freeing for people. And then on the other hand, the people who are into f- the free worship uh, movement tend to say that they are more spirit-led, that the spirit is showing up more authentically in their services because they're leaving room for the spirit, that because they don't have a pre-printed liturgy necessarily, they don't have pre-planned prayers, and they don't even have, they don't have pre-planned sermons often, they'll read the scripture and then speak from their heart, um, they say that there's more room for the spirit, that the spirit can move more freely, that we allow uh, space for that. But the downside of that is that often you may not get as deep with the scripture. You may not get um, as wide a variety because when you're relying on the spirit, sometimes what you can actually end up doing is relying on yourself. <laughs> so uh, you think you're tapping into spirit, but maybe you're not as prepared as you want to be, or maybe the spirit's not showing up that Sunday. Maybe it's showing up in Burkina Faso. Um, then you're, you're kind of drawing within your own resources and drawing from within yourself, which is always dangerous because we as, as humans don't have as deep of a reserve as the, the spirit does. And so where, what's the right answer? Well, it goes down to your philosophy. Presbyterians, the tradition that I am in, have always said that community is the most important part of our faith, that, that Jesus calls us to be in community with one another, to be part of a group with one another, that we are coming to worship together, and the point of worship is to be together. And so it helps to have a plan (laughs) so that everyone can participate. It helps to have an order of worship. It helps to have a roadmap. Often it helps to have sort of a familiar rhythm to your service so that that people can worship together in community because it's it's hard to worship together in community as an equal group of people uh, if you don't have some sort of organizing factor. Uh, We believe that the spirit moves best in community when we're with other people. Free style of worship, that very free style of worship, often tends to be very pastor-driven. It tends to be driven by the person who is going to pray the prayers. Uh, So you'll go to those styles of services, and the only person who will speak for an entire service is the preacher. 
the we in the Presbyterian Church want everyone to be able to participate. And so you'll often have volunteers, liturgists, lay members, children um, participating and leading the worship service. And so it helps to have a plan ahead of time for that. In the very ritualized church, sometimes the ritual itself can become an idol. Maybe you need to break away from the liturgy for that Sunday because something has happened. Uh, There's been a tragic event in the world, and and you can get locked in to that. And so that's also very individualized. It depends on sort of a me and my God situation. You're with other people, but you could still perform the liturgy and the prayers by yourself because it's all printed out for you. It's all there for you. And so which is right? Well, I'm Presbyterian, so I'm going to say it's us, right? <laughs> that, that people, uh, we need to worship together. We need to be open to the Spirit, yes, to leave room for the Spirit to move, to leave space for the Spirit to move, but the Spirit doesn't just move on Sunday mornings. Sometimes the Spirit moves on Tuesday night. Often for me, the Spirit moves on Saturday evening right before I'm going to bed, and then I'm like, can't sleep all night because I have to rewrite my sermon because the Spirit just, you know, moved something new into my head. The spirit's not confined to a time or a place. And so we would say um, the most important thing is being able to worship together. And so what can we do to facilitate that? But I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer. What I think is the most important thing is to not over-rely on an emotional reaction. Because an emotional reaction can go in place of the spirit. We can mistake ecstasy. We can... A mistake emotion for the movement of the spirit and it leaves us open to manipulation so if you have a bad pastor somebody who's maybe uh, wanting to manipulate people to manipulate their emotions an over-reliance on that an over-reliance on one individual at any time leaves you open to corruption um, leaves you open to being taken advantage of, of, of missing the spirit altogether because it takes a lot of work to catch the Spirit. It takes a lot of prayer to catch the Spirit. And we have to be careful about relying too much on one individual or one person or one path to guide us there, because those are all subject to human corruption. And so maybe we didn't solve the worship wars, but I, I hope I gave you something to think about anyway. There is room for the spirit, there's room for emotion, there's room for clapping and dancing and singing and jumping and joy and sadness and crying and weeping and hugging and anointing. There's room for all those things in worship, but are we over-relying on them? Are you mistaking emotion for the movement of the spirit? And are you actually leaving room for God to speak? Sometimes means not saying anything at all. So the music that you use, the words that you say, are not as important as the intention that you enter the space with, you enter the worship experience with. Um, It's not as important as why you're there to worship in the first place. And so if banging a drum helps you worship God, go for it. If an organ helps you worship God, if a violin helps you worship God, if... uh, being in a group of six and praying together helps you worship God. If using the Book of Common Prayer and a pre-prescribed liturgy helps you worship God and gets you away from yourself and, and into God's space, then I think God blesses all of that. But we are designed to worship in community. And we are supposed to remember that worship isn't about us and how we respond. It's about remembering who God is in the midst of that. 
God bless.